Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone here in the audience today. Thank you for taking time to to be with us. And, of course, a big shout-out goes to our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, and you can find them at www.hbc.com. We're here to provide useful information for those who are coming in for the first time. We're here to provide useful information and insights to help communities, companies, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband to everywhere it needs to be in America. Uh, just one little minor housekeeping item. Um, we're not taking uh, call-ins today, but you can join us in the live chat room, and that's happening on the uh, Blog Talk Radio homepage for this show. Jay Ovatori is our online co-host, and he'll be there uh, keeping things lively. So if you have any questions, you know, put them out there, and we'll we'll work with it. Uh, I do think you have to register to get an account uh, to participate, but that should be a very simple process. So moving right along here, our guest today is Jory Wolf, who is the CIO for Santa Monica, California. Welcome, Jory, and thanks for being a guest today on uh, Gigabit Nation. Welcome, and thank you, Craig. I've uh, I've been to Santa Monica a few times, but I have to say it is definitely a um, very nice place to hang out. Um, it is uh, nestled there between L.A. and the Pacific Ocean, so there's like, all these great views and so forth. And um, just a little tourist plug, if you get an opportunity to get to California, definitely definitely stop by the uh, Santa Monica Pier. It um, is the end of uh, Route 66 for any uh, of those interested. Yes. That's right. That's right. I remember that now. Um, you know, many times people, when we're talking about broadband, you know, they talk about its, in, uh, its potential impact in rural communities. But I think folks overlook the fact that there are many urban areas that don't uh, have uh, good broadband. And so I think that, um, you know, we should probably start by talking about what was Internet connectivity like before uh, you started this network project? Uh, it was pretty dismal, Craig. <clears throat> um, we had a shoestring network uh, that connected uh, 32 facilities through our local uh, CLEC. Um, we used Verizon, and we used a combination of DSL connections. And for those locations that had more staff, uh, upwards of um, 50 or more, we used T1s and bonded T1s. The cost for our network um, to 32 facilities was staggering. We were paying close to um, uh, $1.2 million a year for both voice and data communications. Uh, and, of course, when we were growing our, our network for, for data, we found that we had servers scattered all over the place. So maintenance was a nightmare, and there was no way we were ever going to get to best-practiced IT. Interesting. So you, I remember once uh, I did an interview of you for um, one of my broadband snapshot reports, and you said that um, you know we didn't have much uh, analysis to do because it was pretty clear you were paying a lot for a little, and you needed to find a better way. And so it sounds like that indeed was the case, right? I mean, it was pretty clear cut that you had the need. Oh yeah. Well, I think everyone, every every municipality has the need. If you have over twenty five thousand residents, you have the need. Um, and I'll get into that in a little bit later um, in this interview. But um, we we realized that um, if we were going to be on the information superhighway, and that's what it was called, believe it or not, <laughs> in in nineteen ninety eight. Um, we needed to do something, and we needed to do something quickly. Uh, we were responding, really, to the Telecommunications Act of 1996, and that act um, enabled us to manage time, place, and manner for those who were constructing within the community, uh, constructing telecommunications in the community. 
Uh, and it also allowed us to regulate um, the uh, cable codes. So we had um, the ability, of course, to, um, to, to reach out to um, uh, the, the third-party fiber providers at the, uh, at the time and the cable companies and, you know, research with them what they could possibly do for building out a network for the city. And what started it all was we got a negative response, um, and then it all, it all changed from there. So how, so how do you mean? Well, uh, we found that the companies were coming into Santa Monica, but they were only interested in cherry-picking the best businesses. And they really had no interest in serving the local government entity or even any public institutions of any kind. So the city, the school district, and the college were, of course, paying extremely high rates for extremely low-bandwidth technologies. And we didn't see that the future was going to be any brighter. And since um, uh, Verizon said no, and at the time it was Adelphia Cable, they said no, uh, we felt that we had to take the bull by the horns. And what we did was we started a telecommunications master planning effort. And in 1999, we had symposiums, workshops, and we even had a local conference here for the western region within Southern California. Um, hosting other cities and experts in this field, including our council members. And as a result of that, we got everyone to buy into a written document, a master plan that was a blueprint for us to follow for the next decade. Mm-hmm. And that was adopted by council in May of 2000. Well, that's interesting that uh, you, you face that particular barrier because Santa Monica isn't um, it isn't in a sparsely populated area. I mean, there's, there's 80,000 folks there. Um, as I remember, I don't think it's even particularly um, high in, in, in a, well, let me rephrase it. There aren't a lot of low-income areas or blight or any of the types of things where when people think that a provider is going to refuse to bring in service, they're usually, you know, it's usually like the typical, there, there aren't enough uh, people making enough income and there aren't enough people in enough, you know, close enough space. But you really don't have that there in Santa Monica. I mean, you're a fairly urban no, area. We, we are an urban area, and Santa Monica, even back then, was a very attractive community. Uh, it had a lot of different niche businesses. But but I think we were focused. Um, we were transitioning, I should say. Um, and we still had a lot of <clears throat> light manufacturing. We actually even had some large manufacturing um, development space. Um, we had PaperMate was here. Um, and uh, of course, we still had the um, some of the Douglas plant from at the Santa Monica Airport that was left over from World War II. Whoa! <laughs> um, and and um, some some really old institutions that really and, and, and industries that didn't really demand the kinds of broadband that we're talking about uh, in that day. Of course, <laughs> nowhere near what we're we're needing today. Um, but the, uh, also at the time, the city started a redevelopment effort, and the, that effort really resulted in um, development agreements that really transformed the landscape of Santa Monica for starting from uh, probably 1997 and, and through to today. And that transformation has been to... Uh, larger commercial structures, um, certainly uh, more density um, everywhere, and actually the um, the uh, positioning of Santa Monica as being a tech coast or a Silicon Beach. Uh, we have now a large number of entertainment companies and new media businesses that are flocking to Santa Monica as a result of that growth that was started in 1997. Right, so that, and that was a good uh, eight nine years before you guys finally took the bull by the horns in a serious way. So it was definitely a city making progress, and it seems surprising uh, that uh, that you guys would have been uh, ignored in, in the way that you were. So so clearly you decided to, to turn things around, and, but in two thousand and six, uh, as, as I remember, there wasn't a budget for. Um, a fiber network or a major broadband project, and I think it would really be interesting to just you know let you describe how you approach the city council and use some creativity to move this thing forward. 
Well, it was an interesting story. Actually, it's something that um, can be used by any municipality. There's nothing unique about Santa Monica, uh, I believe, that um, that makes us different from anyone else. Anyone can do this. Basically, we took all of our telecommunications funds and we pulled them together from all of the departments. And we have um, 12 different departments and 66 divisions within the city. We are full service with our own police and fire, airport and transit. Um, and um, that gave us um, about $1.4 million dollars. Uh, of of funds, and we were paying Verizon at the time about $1.3 million. We realized that we were going to continue to pay Verizon upwards of $1.3 million and, and, uh, and with you know annual increases if we didn't do something about it. I think others didn't invest in Santa Monica because Verizon had such a ch- chokehold on this community. They had pretty much what looked like a monopoly in the day, uh, AT&T wasn't here then. They still have very little presence now. Third-party providers came in, started construction, started picking up some companies here and there, but then left town and left a mess in their wake. Um, and so we we felt that we needed to build it ourselves. And mm-hmm. we started with trying to get a payback, uh, of course, to be able to uh, reuse the sa- any savings that we might generate from uh, having our own assets. And what we did, I uh, got together with the school district and the college, and said, "Hey, you probably have the same situation we do, and you know your future looks dim when it comes to not only what you're going to pay, but what you're going to get for that money." Uh, because uh, it's extremely expensive. Back then, Verizon was charging um, uh, $3,500 a month for a 10-meg connection. <laughs> so huh. imagine imagine the barriers that we had if we were going to try to use our local uh, carrier and imagine without any, any other competition uh, and remember, the cable codes in the day really weren't in the fiber business then for, for broadband. They were It was cable modem service, and it was video programming in that day. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we, we really felt that without any competition, we needed to build it ourselves. So we took that pool of money, wrote an MOU with the, with the school district and the college, pulled that money together, and um, renegotiated our franchise agreement with Adelphia Cable and said, build us an INAT for 51 city, school district, and college facilities. And what that immediately did was everyone netted a savings because we had now a fiber asset and we got rid of all those lease circuits um, that we were all paying for to Verizon and then pocketed the, the money and bought optical gear um, and operated the um, the fiber network um, from from Adelphia Cable, which eventually became Time Warner, uh, at a very low cost. Um, I paid $530,000 for Adelphia to build it for the school district and the college as well as the city. And they never did pay me back, but they didn't have to. They paid their fair share of the... Um, maintenance on the electronics gear, for purchase of the electronics gear, and also for operations and maintenance of the fiber optics for what we called, affectionately called, our our own INET. And um, I, in putting the MOU together, I did some internal work, too, and I got all of my department heads um, to, to uh, give me their budgets for telecommunications ongoing, so it wasn't a one-time thing. Uh, it was it was ongoing, and I got my finance director, my CFO, and I got my city manager and council to all agree that the money would be um, mine in IT, and any savings that I would have would be treated as a capital project and rolled over from year to year. So in the first year, I saved $250,000, and uh, in subsequent years, I got that up to $500,000. I'm now saving, of the $1.3 million, I'm now saving almost $700,000 a year. And imagine over the course of the last, here we are, 
almost nine years of this program, I have a substantial amount of funds accumulated uh, to continue to build out a fiber optic network and to provide other amenities uh, in the areas of broadband for the community. Right, right. So the crux of it was the um, the, the uh, deal that you were able to strike with city council to, in essence, control your funds, and you made it basically no cost to them because it was you know you're basically saying here's money that we're spending, now let's save it and then redirect it into a better infrastructure that will help not only the uh, local government but will also help uh, some of the constituents, the the college and the and the school district. And, you know, as I'm listening to this, you know, one thing that kind of comes to mind here is that um, do cities uh, and and communities in general really understand the impact on the local economy if their government is running more efficiently? I mean, you're talking about uh, a huge dollar amount that's being spent. So if you can save or redirect that money, uh, that that ultimately will have some sort of economic impact or ripple effect across the, the community, won't it? Oh, absolutely. There are immediate service impacts, improvements, I should say. Um, and then there's, the, of course, the benefit for being able to implement new technologies. So we scrapped all of those you know, remote servers all over the place, and we were able to build best practice IT technologies and, and, and practice, practices here. Everything was collapsed into an optical ring with five data centers, with virtualization um, in the data center, and and um, and also redundant you know networks. And this was for everybody. And of course, we were able to start implementing new technologies for uh, traffic signal synchronization, putting our traffic signals on our network, um, real-time parking advisory signs in our parking structures in the downtown and in the beach lots. Um, Things like um, public safety um, security video on our promenade and our uh, parking lots in our parking structures and on the pier, mm-hmm. um, and that continues to grow to security systems in all of our public facilities. Uh, and oh, wireless parking meters, directional signage, um, AVL for all of our government facility, all of our government vehicles. Um, as well as uh, wireless hot zones, and now that's spreading into wireless commercial corridors throughout the city for not only you know uh, government use uh, and lowering the cost of of our you know needing broadband services uh, that are leased, but um, also for improving livability in the community, improving mobility, improving um the uh, the experience for residents um visitors and especially people who are doing business in Santa Monica mhm interesting um i actually have a couple of questions from the audience which i want to get to in a minute but i want to sort of wrap this up kind of neatly here um in my book fighting the next good fight i uh, for for community broadband I talk extensively about justifying the cost of building a network that is owned in part or in whole by the community. And I say the reason how you justify that is to first use a network to address local government's uh, various communication needs. Now, it sounds like you know pretty much what you've done. So how should cities go about determining if this approach is... is um, best for them? Like what factors in your mind, you know, if I'm a city saying, okay, well, we should look at, you know, our costs and then determine if that justifies this network. But what factors really are you looking for to, you know, put this maybe on a fast track to actually move forward? Well, there has to be a benefit for the community and there has to be a gap that's being filled. I don't believe, I don't believe that it's government's role to compete with the private sector. Mm-hmm. It's government's role to prime the pump so others invest in the community, as we do with commercial spaces and with buildings and with, uh, <clears throat> you know, other other private asset and, and development. But um, we shouldn't directly compete. So uh, we have not gone into the residential space because Verizon and Time Warner Cable are providing services that are are fairly competitive, although we'd like to see more. Um, and um, we don't, and and are reliable. So there's really nothing to fix there. Mm-hmm. We were able to get Verizon to build out FiOS for our community, 
and we were able to get Time Warner to improve their their fiber infrastructure for video programming and delivery of, of triple play. So we did see, though, a tremendous gap and void for our businesses. And we felt that, okay, this is something we need to do something about. If people aren't, if, if telcos aren't going to come to Santa Monica, we have to give them reason to come. There, there, there has to be something to serve the businesses um, that are coming to Santa Monica to fill these beautiful commercial spaces that we we were we were building because of our rede- redevelopment efforts. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have the broadband, those buildings were going to be empty. Right. So let me. Um, I, I want to get this one question in, and then we'll get full into the discussion on economic development. One of the um, one of the members of the audience asked, um, you know, th- is this similar to what uh, Washington D.C. did in terms of, and make sure I'm asking this question the right way, using a franchise agreement to get to some dark fiber. So I'm guessing that means using a franchise agreement as a way to access additional dark fiber besides what the city owns or owned um, at that time. Yes, it's identical. We used our re- renegotiations of our our cable franchise with Adelphia Cable at the time mm-hmm. to build the INET, which was dark fiber, which was six strands of fiber in the um, in the loop, and also six strands in every lateral off. There were five hubs in the loop, but six strands for for every lateral off of one of those five hubs to every one of the facilities. Mm-hmm. So um, that is the model that we used, although it, it, that is not a model that's available to most municipalities in the state of California, and I would imagine in, in some other states around the nation because local franchise authority has been moved from the municipal government to the state level. Then how does that affect people wanting to move forward then from this juncture. I mean, like if other cities want to do, well, in California, you know, if other cities in California want to do what Santa Monica has done, then what's what's their option? Well, or do they have an option? For, for Santa Monica, we went to our local cable company and said, here's $530,000, build it for us. For other municipalities, since we were renegotiating our franchise, we had some leverage with them. Mm-hmm. And we did pay a fair rate, and if we were to have someone else built it, build it, it probably would have cost more because the plant may not have existed. But either way, if you invest in building it for your own government use first and for your public um, agencies, and if you can structure it so that you um, you can reuse those savings, then you can build um, a parallel network, which is what we did, uh, for our community at large, especially for our business sectors. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about um, the economic impact. Number one, uh, what, what are what are the businesses getting access to? So if one, one, one person asked me, um, do they get a gigabit, which is what I saw in, an, in a press release um, back in August, I think it was, or do they get, can they get up to 10 gigabits because that's the full-on capacity of your network right is is 10 gigabits yeah it it um the the price points really it doesn't work until you need um 100 meg mm-hmm. um and at a at 100 meg it's it's very reasonable um and it's extremely reasonable as you go higher mm-hmm. uh, we have majority of our customers are using 100 meg um, many of them are using one gig, and then there are, I would say, about 5% that are using 10 gig. Whoa. Um, we have a couple 10 gig times two uh, for redundancy, and as we continue to build out um, our redundancy, um, we are <clears throat> we're seeing more and more companies um, um, <clears throat> wanting to have redundant services themselves because we have d- uh, multiple dual paths for our network. Um, also, they're interested in other services that we're looking at providing um, in the future, um, and that would be uh, colo and also access to colo outside of the region, uh, such as uh, Scottsdale or Phoenix um, and Las Vegas. Okay. So now, what are some of the ways the network is impacting the local economy? <clears throat> well, we started. Let me let me first start with we started with dark fiber. 
Mm-hmm. And we found that there were a number of entertainment companies that, that needed the dark fiber. The first company that came to us actually was Google. And they they wanted to know what kind of fiber infrastructure we had. Interestingly, I, I do, well, actually, I do need to, to clarify, we did not have an electric utility here in Santa Monica, and we still don't. Um, if your municipality has an electric utility, you may not need someone to build it for you like we needed um, uh uh, Adelphia to build it for us for uh-huh. the INET in, initially because your electric utility will have an abundance of fiber connecting all of its assets um, throughout most of the city and I would imagine <clears throat> many of those are going to be positioned in the areas that you need it such as your downtown and other business parks uh, but getting back to uh, the question uh, I think that that after after a while we realized that uh, dark fiber wasn't enough, that it was too expensive for many of our businesses. We were leaving too many businesses in the dark, so to speak, uh, <laughs> because um, at the rate the, the rate for dark fiber is much you know much greater because um, you're giving up you know a valuable asset. Um, instead, what we did was we looked at expanding our program into lit services, and when we did that. We were able to scale it, and uh, we were able to then come up with the programs for 100 meg, 1 gig, uh, multiple 1 gigs, um, or or 10 gig and multiple 10 gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's worked out very well. We have found that not only were, as, as the word got out through some of our marketing campaigns, businesses, you know, flocked to us and said, oh, God, not only is this affordable, but it's more reliable. It's not in the air. It's not on telephone poles like many of the, the you know, much of the fiber that you see. Uh, it's all underground. Um, we built it all underground, um, and it's redundant too. We've got multiple paths now into into buildings and into our into our city. We have um, found that when the property management companies and property owners of large office complexes heard about this. They also came on board and they said, wait, we want our buildings connected because we want to be on net. We find that it's an asset that our 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 tenants are looking for, mm-hmm. not only our existing tenants, but future tenants. They're looking for where the fiber is. So if our buildings are on net, our building is more valuable, our office space is more valuable. And we found for economic development purposes that those buildings on net are, that, that space is going for a higher rate, is attracting a higher-end technology company or entertainment company, and and is uh, they're all full. Wow. They're leased. That's interesting. That's interesting. And, and so, as, as that word gets around town, more and more are going on net, even though they don't even have customers yet. They don't have a tenant yet. So in this case, you're not even taking an active role in getting your developers to incorporate broadband. They're seeing the opportunity on their own and just jumping on it with both feet. Well, that is how it is today, but that's not how it started. Um, We started with, uh, I reached out to my public works director and I reached out to my uh, economic development director and my planning director. And with Public Works, I got them to agree that whenever they were in the ground, they would allow me to tag along and I would put conduit in the ground, saving tremendous amounts of public money and constructing this parallel network for businesses. And I got my economic development director to spread the word and allow me to sit on our business alliance and to sit um, on uh, on our chamber of commerce. And... Um, and that, of course, got the word out and got um, me to work with some very important community stakeholders, but also some very important property management companies and property owners within the, the community. And then um, I worked with my planning director and got her to agree for all of her planners when they were negotiating development agreements that there was going to be a Santa Monica SM CityNet uh, vault that was going to be built um, at that uh, development site so that we had access to those buildings um, and we'd be able to provide um, 
SM City Net broadband to that that new development at at lower costs. We wouldn't have to be constructed after the fact. And all three of those strategies have worked very well. But now that the word is out, um, it, it the word itself is is really even as effective as those three strategies were in the beginning. That's very uh, that's very interesting. I have often wondered, you know, if indeed once you get the network in place and then you start talking to people about it and you get your first couple of customers, that the need is so pent up there's so, and in such a degree that it's like an almost an explosion of interest because people have been waiting for this and all you need is one or two people to start talking about it and it just kind of, you know, snowballs from there. There is there's that, but there's there's also a lot of competition as as anyone who's involved in in leasing commercial space. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> so imagine um, how that's playing. Uh, are, is your building on net? No, it's not on net yet, but I'm putting it on net. Um, and, and there was a race to see which property management company or which property large property owner was going to get their buildings on net first. Um, mm-hmm. not, now, I'm not saying they're all on yet, but there there has been a race to the finish line, and it's been very interesting to watch. Um, so this is this is um, something that, that people recognize is a valuable asset for commercial space. Of course, the businesses um, uh, agree with that and are telling the property owners and, and the property managers that this is a must-have and that you may have beautiful buildings and it may be in a lovely seaside community and you may have all these nice restaurants, but if you don't have broadband at affordable rates and if you don't have redundancy, that's not good enough. Right. Um, now, at this stage, uh, you know, 2011, does your um, economic development director uh, specifically include broadband in the plan, in like their economic development plan itself. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you, you always have a, a plan for economic development. We plan to do this, we plan to do, you know, why, so forth and so on. But is broadband like a component of their economic development plan, do you know? It was not up to about three years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and it was very frustrating for me. Uh, but um, over the course of the last three years, <clears throat> as people kept coming to them and asking where the fiber was, where's your fiber maps? Can you tell us, you know, who at Verizon we need to talk to? Is AT&T in town? What about Level 3 and Cogent? And and, and who else can we talk to? Um, they realized um, uh, that that they needed to put the, make this part of their plan. And it was um, their... their um, well, there, there was an effort in Santa Monica over the course of the last three years to make ourselves more business friendly. Santa Monica, the government of Santa Monica, had a reputation of not being business friendly. It was very difficult to get development agreements through, and the tenant improvement projects just labored on for for uh, protracted periods of time. <clears throat> and with uh, the change in council's philosophy and with some change in executive directors and, and staff, um, we, we of course, um, went about trying to correct that. And then so we formed this partnership with the chamber called the Business Alliance, and that was through our economic development department. And they spearheaded it and got our building and safety uh, official, myself, uh, uh, representing broadband and other strategic representatives of city government to sit with businesses, to sit with property owners, and to to meet with brokers, commercial property brokers, to strategize how we can attract more businesses and how we can use any of these assets to do that. Interestingly, um, we found that broadband was the silver bullet. And I'll, I'll give you a little story. <clears throat> uh, go ahead, please. There was a very large employer in the city of Santa Monica, and they employ 900 employees here locally. It's a gaming company, a global gaming company, 
and they were considering uh, leaving Santa Monica for uh, more office space and a location where it wouldn't be this costly to build. Um, they came to um, their brokers, and their brokers and, and this company came to city management and asked our city manager, what can you do for us? Can you lower our taxes? Can you <clears throat> um, speed our permitting processes? Can you lower our permit fees and, and other kinds of government <clears throat> reductions um, for, for fees mostly and for taxes? And, of course, my city manager is saying, well, this isn't obviously good for our community. Uh, I can't lower your taxes. I can't lower your permit fees. If I did for you, did it for you, I'd have to do it for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I can look at streamlining our, our permitting processes, but that's going to take a long time. But, hey, I can give you broadband at affordable rates, and I can give it to you up to rates speeds of 10 gig. Do you want that? And they were all heirs, and they stayed. Okay. So this brings up a question actually by me and by uh, several people in the audience, which is um, legal issues, right? Because this tends to be the quicksand that gets a lot of communities in trouble is they have all kinds of um, you know legal issues. There are challenges, uh, and I think you've dodged almost all or all of those and one of the few cities that does i know one question that was very specific uh, had to do with um let me pull it up here uh let's see were you having obstacles dealing with uh mdu laws and regulations uh meaning there are certain things that you can and cannot do uh to get customers services exclusively by another provider um no, we haven't really had any problems with that and and one of the things I haven't shared with you yet, Craig, is that we're 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 partnering um and we're agnostic when it comes to who we'll do business with. We are not disabling others for from investing in Santa Monica. <clears throat> we are not competing with them directly in in fact, we're enabling them, so many of the third party um, fiber f- providers are actually using SM CityNet fiber, <clears throat> and they are reselling our fiber, providing their niche services, or extending uh, our fiber with their fiber to reach um, businesses in Santa Monica. And I think it's been extremely um, uh, valuable to them, and I don't see that, that they see it as threatening. Uh, the other interesting thing is that um we we believe that Verizon is 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 shuttering its doors for for its Verizon business here in Santa Monica and so there's this this newly formed void that we feel that we're filling not only with ourselves but with these third third party fiber providers and so we're enabling them to and and with with our activities we're filling that void um ultimately i think what will end up happening is in about 5 years most of the large national wireless companies are going to be disbanding their their fiber um and their landline businesses because everything's going mobile uh, and wireless mm-hmm. and wireless services <clears throat> with the you know the advent of 4g and and then future improvements in wireless we're going to see wireless in the home um uh, being distributed over wireless networks we're going to see um wireless on the go uh, to greater extents we're already seeing video on smartphones and tablets and the like and i believe that there is the market is moving to the consumer gadget um niche and and i think that less and less people um, are going to be using landlines in their home because more and more people, as we know, um, are letting go of landlines and are moving to cell phones and tablets. And just like that's um, how that's worked with copper, I think the same thing is going to work with is going to work its way through with fiber. Well, I would I would guess that. Um 
you know, I, I see where the market is moving toward more mobile applications and people wanting to do more. I also look at the fact that companies like AT&T and Verizon are having difficulties getting that much traffic across their networks. And so they're trying to find ways to, to you know, to dump it onto <laughs> Wi-Fi networks. And um, I read an article oh, a couple of weeks ago that uh, either Verizon or AT&T, I forget which, is thinking about how they can structure things so they can charge for that Wi-Fi, which, you know, scares a lot of people who are used to being able to go to an Internet cafe. But the bottom line being is that the wireless has an inherent ceiling of capability. And, yes, mobility is key. I want to be able to do some X number of tasks while I'm mobile. Uh, but at some point, we, we are still going to need, I'm assuming, capabilities and speeds faster than what wireless on its best day is going to be able to deliver. Do you think, or did you see it differently? Mm. Well, I believe that with the improvements in wireless over the next three to five years, um, I, I see it differently. Okay. Um, but what I do see during that period of time <clears throat> and, and beyond, um, I see people who need um, 30 meg uh, or more um, not being served by by wireless uh, over the course of the next you know five years or or after you know five years um, and so businesses are the ones that are I think going to be hurt most by this so there still is and I'm not saying there isn't there still is a, in the outside of the consumer marketplace for the business marketplace there's still going to be a need for fiber. And businesses are going to need, they're going to thrive on fiber, and those without will probably pass away. Um, and that's what we're tr attempting to do, is as the, uh, as the carriers and the Celex uh, are focusing their attention on the volume in the consumer marketplace using wireless, we're coming up behind and filling in for, for their retreat from the the fiber um, niche. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can see. I can see where that makes sense. Uh, just a note out to our um, listeners today: uh, if you want to uh, throw some questions in here for Jory or myself to answer, uh, you do need to uh, log on with a uh, Blog Talk Radio account, I believe, which is a pretty simple process. Um, Otherwise, I mean, you obviously say keep listening, and we will entertain questions from those folks who are currently sending us some some questions. I want to shift just a little bit to talk about um, what does the community have to do, or what does the the, the owner of the network, whether we're talking city only, own, uh, city only, or a public-private partnership, what does that entity driving the network have to do to ensure that there are um, economic impacts. And as an example, what I mean by this, so in, a, a phrase that gets used these days frequently is economic gardening. So in Pulaski, Tennessee, uh, they have a municipal broadband network. And one of their objectives is to increase the number of home-based entrepreneurs and help them grow their businesses. So the local government works with different organizations to help them provide services such as, you know, teaching basic accounting skills or business management consulting uh, services in order to help those people that get the access to, um, you know, take advantage of it, uh, you know, to maximum effect. In Seattle, they're, they're, they were talking about providing um, uh, fiber uh, access services to the businesses there, but realize a lot of the business owners aren't tech-savvy. So if you're going to have an economic impact, it seems like you have to do more than just build a network and turn it on and put up a for-sale sign. It's <clears throat> very interesting you bring this up, Craig, because we were just talking about it this morning in one of our strategy sessions. Oh, we're finding... Cool. <laughs> Believe it or not, we're finding more and more, and we're we're quite shocked at this. But we're finding more and more that these companies don't have the expertise to run these high-speed networks, and we're we're trying to put together now um, an adjunct to our program that would provide services for these companies, and it would be you know remote hands. It might possibly be. Um, 
consulting services for for building you know best practice um, or designing uh, you know reliable and secure networks um, and also we might even have um, possibly opening up a help desk for for networking networking services and, and troubleshooting beyond our network for example this morning we had uh, we had a, a one gig customer go down and this is the second time that they've been down of course we responded within 10 minutes we were on site and we've we troubleshot our our network and realized it had nothing to do with our network and quickly realized that the company well after um we exchanged some information with the company which they shouldn't even have shared with my technicians in the first place we were able to get on their network and realize someone had had added um a uh, a, a wireless access point <clears throat> and a router that uh, had a conflicting ip address with their firewall mhm and so things just as simple as that um you know if they're going to if we're going to be providing these services and if we really want this to work for our community either these businesses have to have an IT staff or we're going to need to provide those the services to them um in some sort of consulting or or contractual fashion the other thing that we're looking at at attempting to do with with broadband and we're starting in the wireless arena is to we have a program called buy local here and so we're promoting um local businesses who participate in our buy local program they get um some perks um we've developed a website for them there's a direct online directory for business to business and and residents to to buy local and we have uh, recently launched advertising on our Wi-Fi hot zones we have uh, currently have 27 Wi-Fi large Wi-Fi hot zones throughout the city outdoor hot zones um and we're now um uh implementing Wi-Fi on four very long um commercial corridors throughout the city and we'll be adding more commercial corridors as we go mm-hmm. but advertising local businesses promoting the buy local program on our Wi-Fi we think is going to be it's going to go a long way for for helping businesses and to think of them as community stakeholders and and treat them um as long-term partners. Mhm. Mhm. And that's uh and that's probably a very uh smart way to go. I mean, you you are thinking in many respects outside of the box. I think when when we consider government services, we expect that there will be, you know, this service or that service, and it's kind of in a control, controlled, structured process. You go somewhere and wait in line. You send in some paperwork, and you wait for someone to get back to you. But this sounds like really roll up the sleeves and get into the trenches, not obviously to to run people's businesses, but to be a support uh, vehicle, which I think is more. Uh, proactive than we typically expect from governments and in and in and, and in a very positive way in this case. I believe yeah, it has there ha- it has to be a turnkey. Um, mm-hmm. We need to make it simple. <clears throat> we need to make it simple for these businesses to be able to use these services. Um and um we were quite surprised that some of these businesses even in corporate offices don't have the the IT talent that we expect them to. Well, it sounds like one more niche and and you guys are in a position to facilitate the the filling of it. And you know, actually I I have another question that kind of along this vein of, you know, value added services and uh exceeding expectations. Uh your network is run by your IT department, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. Um I think in most corporations even there is not this expectation that the IT staff i mean they're considered to be good at technology but they're not considered to be good at at business issues whereas you guys are building a business and you know creating a product line if you will of services and you're marketing this thing cuz you you know you got a steady flow of businesses coming in and so forth and it's all your IT staff I mean, did you do something special? Did you send them out for MBAs? I mean, how did how were you able to go against norm and and come up with a group that's running a pretty sharp business operation? Um that's an interesting question. 
uh, I might have to, you know, give you the full answer in a few days after I ponder it further. <laughs> but but my my first reaction to that <coughs> is they are so excited. I would have to use the word jazz about this program and being part of it, and about being entrepreneurial and about servicing the business community, and coming out of the closet, you know, the the back office, and and being in the forefront and directly serving the community with all the things that I mentioned earlier, like AVL and real-time parking signage and synchronized traffic signals and transit priority holding like green for, for signals and all the other things we do with Wi-Fi hot zones. And the public goes, we love this. And the council goes, we love this. And every time we're in a magazine or there's a council meeting and there's more technology that comes up and they and they see council through our video archive of the meeting, they see council talk about how great our IT staff is and how forward-thinking we are and about all the wonderful things that we do for this community. It's it's like injecting them with you know with drugs, uh, then they just can't get enough of it. So they are enjoying this new role because this is probably much more exciting than what they originally signed on for. Well, they still have their their, their other responsibilities. Right, Um, I know they don't get rid of that. But we've implemented some really good technologies through the savings of, you know, we haven't just continued to build this for for our external services. We've used the funds to improve the way that we operate, which has improved our efficiencies, which has allowed us to focus more time on some of these these external things. But, yes, they, they, they like it a lot. They... I might I would might even agree with you that they like it better than what what they what they do traditionally. <laughs> Coming on over to the wild marketing side of life. Yeah. Now you're you have um a wireless network which is a key part of this picture both for the government side and the business use side as does Chattanooga who we had on the show last week. And now are you number one doing smart grid stuff with that and is indeed the the wireless a p- part of the economic picture of you know the what you're trying to achieve oh, the wireless is definitely part of it it's all part of the broadband program uh, we're not just a, a fiber and well we're not a utility yet but um we kind of act as if we were uh, we're not just a fiber utility we are actually um either one mm-hmm. and it's whatever service we feel we need to provide for example when I speak of all of these government applications that we use, one one point is an example um, for our transit priority system um, holding a light green when a when a bus is coming to the intersection and granting priority for that that mass transit vehicle. Mm-hmm. Half of that's built on wireless, um, mm-hmm. and when you talk about um, you know bringing broadband to a particular building. We, you know, many of these buildings are, are fairly large, and they have open spaces um, in them that are to be used by, of course, people who visit the property, but also by the public. And so we're Wi-Fiing those commercial corridors, we're Wi-Fiing those commercial centers, and we're making the, the we're, we're improving further the value of the asset. It doesn't just have broadband for the businesses inside the buildings <clears throat> or along the corridors. It's actually uh, wireless, in in a sense, also an alternative form of broadband for people who, who visit and work in that space. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the smart grid part? I know that I saw one, in one of your notes to me earlier that you have something going on in that regard. <clears throat> we uh, are using it right now for monitoring all of our meters um, mm-hmm. for the city. And um, these are water quality meters, so they're pumping stations and the like. We are in the process of rolling out um, wireless meter reading devices, so all of our meters, water meters, will be will be wireless, which means we'll be able to have, um, uh, in a sense, smart grid for our water utility. Uh, which will allow them to monitor the residents and businesses to monitor their consumption on a real-time basis, and okay. of course work toward sustainability and energy conservation. Great, that's interesting. I want to. We got about five minutes left, but in our time that's left, I want to actually ask a couple of questions that will be on my, 
survey that, that goes out. Like I said, Economic Development Professionals, it's our annual national survey. And by the way, for our listening audience, if you want to participate in the survey, uh, you should go to my website, uh, www.cjspeaks.com. And I believe there's a link uh, from the the station, but um, in any event, if you go to my website, there will be all the details on the survey. One of the questions I'm going to be asking this year is, can communities use broadband to increase entrepreneurialism uh, among their constituents? And I mean, I know that you in Santa Monica don't sell service to residential areas, which would kind of affect maybe the, the home-based businesses, but typically, we talk about broadband, and, and and we talk about what it does to draw in new businesses, new companies, and we talk about how it deals with uh, existing companies. But can you you know see a way where that network actually inspires people, and the city can kind of help along that you know people wanting to start their own business? Well, we have models of that here already, even though it, we don't reach out to the residential sectors of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, in um some of the uh, on on some of the peripheral periphery of our of our business um, uh our, our business sectors um and in the downtown and, and other business parks we have um more affordable office space and those office spaces are now being turned into um incubators for small entrepreneurial businesses and we're providing broadband um, at affordable rates for those businesses um, to flourish and to incubate within these um, these complexes, um, which you know provide a place for them to, of course, work, but also a place, um, general meeting quarters for them to share ideas with other businesses that are either working on similar projects. Um, or can actually establish partnerships to benefit one another. Okay. So let me ask this question. Um, in one or two points, quickly, what would be your like advice to others? What are the two things they need to do to make their broadband network an effective economic development tool? Well, it has to be tied into um, your economic development department, it has to be part of their strategy. It needs to be, um, you know, in their DVDs that they send out to uh, prospective companies, uh, and it needs and to, and to brokers. Um, and there needs to be um, an ongoing dialogue about how broadband can be used uh, for business, um, and it needs to be promoted. Um, we've had some really good success in putting some promotional materials together with our business alliance. Um, <clears throat> we have some very creative people here in Santa Monica, and we generated what's called uh, a passport to Santa Monica. And it's uh, about a 35-page brochure. It's fairly small. It's about the size of a, a small personal telephone directory. And it has everything about um, uh, the benefits uh, in Santa Monica that are there to serve uh, existing and new businesses. And broadband is uh, profiled to a great extent within that document. So I think those are the key elements. I think it's to partner with the business stakeholders. It's to uh, make sure it's part of your economic development plan. Uh, it needs to be part of your development agreements, and it needs to be highly publicized and promoted. Okay. And uh, my last question before we wrap, last, last question. Is it true you guys have 200 different companies providing services like ISPs and the like? Or is that number, uh, did I get the wrong number from somewhere? It, we have, um, what we did was we built a um, a connection to the, the largest local point of presence uh, for the Internet here in Southern California, which is in downtown Los Angeles called One Wilshire. And there at One Wilshire, there are 200 ISPs. So the companies that use our services, to our transport services through um, through Lit Service and WDM technologies, they have access to that competitive um, uh, uh, group of companies. So we've been able to lower their costs for for bandwidth significantly through um, bundling. 
uh, of our customers to acquire reductions and discounts, and also for them to directly um, competitively bid out those services. Great. We're going to have to wrap. I want to thank you, Jory, for your time. This has been extremely informative, and I really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Sure. We'll maybe do this again one day. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, and uh, also our media sponsors, uh, GigaOM, MuniWireless.com, and Broadband Communities Magazine. And uh, thanks, too, to Jay Overtori for being my uh, online co-host and keeping everything running smoothly. Thank you all very much in the audience, and uh, come back and check out next week's show, our Monday show. We'll have Howard County, Maryland, uh, one of the broadband stimulus winners. So it's going to be an enlightening show uh, for everybody to check out. Thank you, and have a great day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.